guys, welcome to episode 31 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I am your host, Troy McKeady, and um, happy post-Thanksgiving. I guess when you be when you when you be listening to this, it'll be uh it'll be days after Thanksgiving and um thank God, right? Because I don't know about you, like I love my family, I love the holidays, I love um giving thanks and all that. But uh, you know, I just I just can't deal with that much family time. It's a lot. My family is very dysfunctional. Um we all love each other, but there's a lot of issues. Uh, I was raised by 900 women and we have this inside joke in my family that none of us know how we exist because there's literally no men. It's like just a few male cousins and then me, if you want to count me, but beyond that, there's about 900 just like boisterous, loud, aggressive, like very independent thinking women and shit gets real on the holidays. Fights break out. There's laughs, there's cries, there's, I mean, there's wine. It's a whole thing, and it's just exhausting. So this year, my mom and I just decided to, like, hang out. We've been doing this thing, my mom and I, where, like, every year for Thanksgiving, before we go do family stuff, we'll go, like, get a drink, or we'll go, like, get dinner on our own, or we'll, you know, I'll cook, or she'll cook, or, like, whatever. And then we go do family stuff a little bit drunk. Or we'll go do it after. You know what I mean? We'll go, like, get drunk after or, like, whatever. But, like, just time to, like, decompress. Um, But this year, my family all just kind of, like, did their own thing. Like, everybody individually, my aunts and their kids and my my cousins and, like, whatever. We all just kind of, like, did our own thing. So my mom and I, we ate. We went shopping. We got drunk. My mom had tequila. I had gin. You know, it was actually what I would prefer every year to be for Thanksgiving. But I know that that's not feasible. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was fine. And then I did my first, like, I bought my first ever, like, big Black Friday purchase, which I'm really excited about. I got a fucking TV. I'm feeling very fucking adult. I got a TV. I bought a TV on Black Friday. I was, like, one of those people. I didn't, like, sleep outside of Best Buy. I didn't put up a fucking tent anywhere. I just went online, and I was like, I need a TV. I just moved. The TV that I use in my living room is the size of, like, a 90s, like, kitchen TV that a, a woman would use to, like, follow recipes. So I needed a TV, and I was like, fuck it. And I got a $500 TV for $200 on Walmart.com. Um, so, yeah, that was my Thanksgiving. And Christmas is coming. I don't know what the hell I'm going to buy people. I don't know what I'm going to buy my mom. <sighs> The holidays are just stressful. I I just miss being, like, eight and, like, Christmas and Thanksgiving only meant that you wake up and just are given shit and you don't buy anything and everywhere you go, like, it's all decided for you and everywhere you show up, everybody's excited to see you and you just eat and are given things all day and sleep. I mean, it's, like, the greatest, the greatest thing in the entire world and, like, I just, you're officially an adult when you start becoming stressed out about Christmas, I think. I think that's, like, when you officially are no longer, when, like, the sparkle and the magic of being a child totally exits your body, when you shit it all out, is Christmas, when you realize that you have to go buy shit, and you have to go out in crowds, and you've got to hope things show up from the internet, and you've got to spend money, and you have to work on holidays, and, like, 
request time off and all those things happen and you're like, ew, like what the fuck happened? Um, but anyways, I'm really excited about today's episode. I have to give praise to Ryan Bailey because Ryan was actually the one that gave me the idea to do this episode. I don't know why I didn't think about doing it before. Maybe I did and just had forgotten. I don't know. But um, our only gay representation on this podcast so far has been Tila Tequila and Casey Johnson. <laughs> and I don't know if I am, but I don't think that that's the best representation of the gay community. And, um, Ryan texted me and gave me the idea of doing, um, Ellen DeGeneres and Anne Heche. And I thought, ding, 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 hello. What better couple to talk about? Like, insane. So many crazy things happened. Ellen came out of the closet. She became an ambassador. She became the, the face of what it meant to be a gay celebrity. Anne Heche had a nervous breakdown. She introduced us to her multiple personalities, one of them named Celestia. I mean, like, a lot took place. And I couldn't stop researching. That's usual. I mean, that's the usual, though. That's pretty normal at this point. I just, like, go fucking nuts. Um, I have, like, 48 pages of notes. And I'm really excited. I'm excited to talk about these two. I personally, like, live and die for Anne Heche. Um, When I was texting Nicole about this episode, I was like... <laughs> This is really embarrassing, but I've cried like three different times doing this. <laughs> um, like researching Ellen and like watching her old interviews, watching her, you know, coming out episode of her show. Um, I just am so inspired by her. I just think she's like one of the most incredible people. I think like we're so lucky to have her and I don't know if she gets the, the recognition. I don't, the thing is, I don't know if young people know that the reason gay people exist on television the reason that we have like modern family and the reason we had will and grace and like all these shows that people love the l word and all these gay centric shows is because of ellen i mean ellen was the first gay person to be the lead of a sitcom and be out and open she was in the first i mean i would say the first like a-list mainstream lesbian relationship like people who showed up at the oscars and showed up at the golden globes and you know what i mean this was like she was groundbreaking and she took so much of the the hit for everybody you know she took such a big punch <clears throat> and she was so attacked and villainized and her life was so um scandalized and 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 hounded and she was she just she suffered so much abuse so that other people could just like live their lives. And we're all so lucky to have her. She's really, I mean, truthfully, she's, anybody who has any problem with Ellen, you, sir, are punching your ticket to hell, as you did with Drew Barrymore, as I explained before. There are just certain people, unapologetically, that if you don't like, you're going to hell. Now, if you want to live in a, in, a, in a world where you know that you're going to hell and that you're full of sin and that you're a non-Christian and a non-believer, that's fine. You live your life. But just know that you will burn eternally um, in the afterlife because you can't go through life hating Ellen. You just can't. Like, you just, you will not. And I forbid you from listening to this episode. If you have any ill feelings towards Ellen, I can't imagine what they would be. I can't imagine what you'd have to say. But if you do... You need to take your ungodly ass out of my church. Um, 
so yeah, I guess we can get started. Uh, this is a real crazy, a real crazy relationship. A lot took place, a lot happened, and at the end of it, all hell just breaks loose. So if you are a Patreon subscriber, like I think this would be the week to, uh, this would be the week to like shell out the coin. Cause like the end of this episode is just fucking batshit bananas. I would say one of the craziest ones I've talked about in a while. Like they've been fairly tame recently, and this is like, this really, Amps it right back up. Um, so Ellen and Anne Hage dated uh, from March of 97. They separated in August of the year 2000. And like I said, they were one of the first, if not the first, very public, out and open, A-list, mainstream lesbian couples. And um, they sort of became the face of the gay community. Like this was, Anne Hage and Ellen were like the couple that you compared every gay couple to. Like, they represented all gay people. Their relationship represented all gay relationships. Their feelings towards gay rights and towards gay relationships and towards coming out were representative of how every gay person in the entire world felt. Like, they just, they were, which is terrifying because Anne Hayes, like, Ellen is one thing, but to have Anne Hayes, like, speaking for millions of people is terrifying, um, which is why this takes such a weird sort of turn. And, um... Yeah, like I said, Ellen took huge career hits. She had, you know, her show got canceled and she just was ridiculed. I mean, she was the the the, the joke of every late night host. And I mean, she was just, she was, it was a Salem Woods trial. And Ellen was in the hot seat for a few years. And I don't, I honestly, going back and like looking through all this stuff and reading about all the things and watching interviews, like, I don't know how she did it. I wouldn't have been strong enough. Personally, I would not have been a strong enough person to like go through all this and come out of it on the other side. And for her to now be such an incredibly like giving and like just awesome, nice, generous, happy person is just, it's incredible. And it really does just sort of so like, you know, she was like talking to Oprah on the 20th anniversary of her coming out episode. And she, you know, talked to Oprah about how, you know, just like being yourself and like being who you are and this is like turning into like me rewriting the lyrics to Born This Way, but no, just like being yourself and like embracing who you are as an individual, even if everybody around you doesn't understand it, like in the end, it does pay off. And in her case, like who would have known that after years of just being like ripped apart, that she would end up as successful as she is now. And um, I don't know, it's just, it's interesting to even imagine a time when Ella DeGeneres, like a woman who for the most part, is known for being loved and having, like, this super successful talk show. You know, she's broken all these records. Like, she broke all of Oprah's records as far as, um, you know, the success of her show and all that stuff. And, like, to imagine a time in history when she was the most hated woman in Hollywood. And, like, I was very young during this time, so I don't really have a... Of course I remember it. I wasn't so young that I don't remember um, but my perception was that of, like, a child. Like, I was just like, oh. Like, I, and I knew what gay, being gay was. At that time, I was, like, I was raised around adults and, like, around people who used terms like penis and vagina. Like, I wasn't, there was no sugarcoating. So, I knew from a very young age that I was definitely gay. But it was seeing gay people on TV and in movies that really just sort of, like, blew your mind at that time. Because gay people were so underrepresented or just not represented at all. And if they were, it was, like as a joke or as, you know, like, um, sort of like the, the person on like a sitcom who would come in and, 
and be really uh like flamboyant and sort of like unrealistic and somebody to like laugh at or make fun of or it was sort of like a a gay person coming onto a straight person and, and being gay being gross and everybody laughing at them. I mean it was like the gay people were a joke on TV. Um so to see somebody like Ellen who in my mind was like very funny and like just super normal and you know I loved Ellen. I loved that show. I liked her as a person and I was like, "Oh. So that's what it, that's what it looks like. Like that's what another that's what gay people kind of that's what it really is. It's not like you know, it's not that one character that I saw on like Golden Girls at one time or whatever. You know what I mean? It's this this is what it's really like. Um and like I like I said, I think kids that are listening to this like young people kind of have no they have no concept of like what she went through or like what it was like back then um to like be gay in Hollywood. Like it was just unheard of. It just wasn't a thing. Um and this was, like, you know, back in the day when you had to, like, I mean, like, Ellen received, like, death threats and bomb threats and all this stuff. And people constantly were telling her that they were going to kill her and that she deserved to die. And, like, <laughs> you know, like, kids listening to this, like, maybe, like, a little bit too young to remember a time before you could just, like, like tweet a death threat. Like, now kids just, like, tweet their death threats, like, in the morning when they wake up. Like, they literally wake up before school tweet their like list of death threats and then they go on with their day go on with being 13 they go on with like their life after telling you know Demi Lovato that they're gonna gutter like a pig and then they put their phone down and okay now it's cool like it's a normal thing to send people death threats now but this was like back in the day when you had to like literally pay postage to send people death threats like you had to buy a stamp and like write a letter and cut out you know like letters from different uh like magazine articles to create a bodyguard style like ransom note like that was what a death threat was in the 90s it was not tweeting it was literally mailing off a letter that you put at least hours of work into um just to let somebody know that you wanted them to die so a whole lot more effort went into it and it felt a lot more poignant at that time <laughs> um so Ellen, who was originally from New Orleans, as we know, uh, she got her start doing stand-up like just at local comedy clubs and at bars and stuff in the area. And her really big career break came in the late 80s when she entered a comedy contest that was supposed to... It was sponsored by Showtime, and they were doing this thing where they were supposed to be finding the funniest person in America. And that person would have that title, and they'd be able to like tour all over the country with the title kind of like being like a top chef or like an iron chef like you're the funniest person in all of america so okay she wrote this set called phone call to god which is now kind of famous i think most people know this as being like her signature set that she did and it's the one that is like i guess in ellen's career her most iconic because it kind of started her career um and fun fact, so the routine is basically about how Ellen, like, given the opportunity to call God, she would ask him why fleas exist and what purpose they serve in the world, which sounds kind of ridiculous when you explain it, but she actually wrote this set after her first real girlfriend had died in a car accident, um, someone she was really, really deeply in love with, 
Um, apparently they were living together and she and Ellen had gotten in this like really big fight. So Ellen had threatened to move out. She told her that she was going to leave her and that it was over. And she knew the whole time that she wasn't actually going to like leave her. She just wanted to like make her upset basically. And the girl called Ellen while she was at a comedy club and Ellen pretended not to hear. She, you know, took the call and said, you know, it's loud in here. I can barely hear you. I'm not coming home tonight. Like, I'll talk to you eventually, blah, blah, blah. Just kind of trying to, like, piss her off, basically. And um, on her way home, she saw a car that had been split in half. And uh, she heard her friend just kind of drove past it and didn't really think anything of it. Um, she went home and she realized the following day that that car was actually her girlfriend and that her girlfriend had died. And she, you know, she was at her house. She was laying in their bed. She was obviously super depressed, um, feeling like she was like going to spiral out of control. And they had fleas in their apartment. They lived in this basement apartment where the ceilings were so low that you had to bend down when you walked. And she just sort of started pondering to herself, like, why the fuck are these fleas allowed to live and my like beautiful 23 year old girlfriend had to die this horrible death in a car crash like this person who had so much to offer the world and was such a good person but like millions of fleas are like infesting this bed and just like prospering and like going on with life and that's how she came up with her first set um she recorded the set on um johnny carson as well when she uh she very famously got asked to go sit down next to Johnny, which, like, you know, at the time meant that you were a, you were basically going to be a star. Like, if Johnny Carson called you over and said, like, hey, come over and sit down after your set, like, that was it. That meant that that was, like, sort of the first domino in your career. Um, so she went on stage and she did the bit about, you know, phone call to God. Um, you can watch it on YouTube. It's actually very funny. And I love 80s, like, mullet Ellen as well. Um... And Johnny loved her. And that was it. That was like the first sort of like stepping stone in her career that like made her really take off. She also, by the way, she won that contest. So she won the contest of Funniest Person in America. And then Johnny Carson had her on. She did the same set and he loved it. And that was it. Um, and like, okay, so we can't really have a conversation about Ellen back in the day without talking about her show. This whole episode is going to revolve a lot around Ellen's sitcom at the time, um, which was titled Ellen. It debuted in 1994 on ABC. And um, I mean, I've mentioned in this podcast, especially in the Roseanne episode, that like during the 90s, there was this era of like giving comedians their own shows, their own sitcoms, basically due to the success of Roseanne and Seinfeld. And Ellen herself was... I mean, she was often cited as, like, the female version of Jerry Seinfeld. Like, you know, she was the queen of, like, obser observational comedy. And my, I call it Isn't It Weird Comedy. I've always called it, I've always called Jerry Seinfeld's comedy Isn't It Weird Comedy, where it's, like, you literally just take a random object or a random thing or, like, a random thing that we do in society and, like, break it down, break down its absurdity to the point of thinking that it's weird and funny and it's ridiculous, but I love it. Like, I love Isn't It Weird comedy. Um, some call it observational, and I just call it Isn't It Weird, because it's literally picking up a chapstick and saying, isn't this weird? 
And then you talk about it for 40 minutes and all of a sudden you're fucking peeing yourself because it's so funny. Um, and Ellen had originally been cast in another sitcom called Lori Hill that was immediately canceled, but the producers loved Ellen so much that they decided to cast her in um, a show that they were writing called These Friends of Mine, which they obviously later changed to Ellen. And um, Ellen is, I mean, she's often talked about this sort of like pre-coming out time in her life and how the only people who really knew she was gay were like industry people and other people, like, you know, other industry lesbians. Um, and they, you know, she's talked about how like they would have, actually, I heard Rosie O'Donnell talk about this, how, you know, they would have these like lesbian parties at Rosie's house or at Melissa Etheridge's house. And like, I've got to be completely honest with you, being a child of the 90s um, and having heard these rumors, like I knew that I was gay and I knew that I liked men and I knew that I liked watching Cruel Intentions because Ryan Phillippe, you can see his butt. Like I knew simple things like that. You know what I mean? But like... Lesbians were a whole different thing for me. Like, I didn't... And I still... I'm gonna be honest. I still totally don't get it. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of lesbian friends. But there are just things that I think gay men and lesbians will never understand about each other. And that's fine. You know, it's actually, like... I love hanging out with my lesbian friends. And, like, we'll get drunk and ask each other weird questions. And, like, <laughs> kind of, like, gross each other out. Because we don't really totally get all the things. You know what I mean? We'll never fully get them. No matter how hard we try, we'll never totally understand how or why. <laughs> but we love each other. And uh, in my mind, as a child of the 90s, and like, you know, having gone to Lilith Fair, sorry, but it's true. Like, I immediately pictured Rosie O'Donnell and Ellen, like, banging tambourines and, like, dancing around topless with, like, scarves. Honestly, with, like, KD Lane, like, strumming a ditty on the guitar with, like, flowers on her nipples. And I don't know. That's what, that was my idea of what a lesbian was in the 90s when I was little. And uh, by the way, Lilith Fair was my first concert. Actually, my first concert was No Doubt. My second, con my first music festival ever and my second concert was Lilith Fair. And, um, and then Melissa Etheridge. So, like, I went through a weird phase. Like, I was basically a lesbian when I was little. And, uh, I remember being at Lilith Fair and, like, looking around and, like, seeing all these, like, topless women and, like, really cool women with tambourines and scars. And, like, that was my idea of what it meant to be a lesbian. And I'll never forget, like, we would always, we had this, this music venue near me called The Blossom. And The Blossom's, like, this very sort of, like, hippy-dippy um, it's like, the, it's an outdoor music venue, so you can picnic, and you can, like, lay in the grass, and you can bring your own food. People bring, like, little tables, and, like, I don't know, it's just, like, it's a very, like, open and free environment, so a lot of times, like, when we have music festivals, they'll do it at the Blossom, because you can, like, just do whatever you want. You can just, like, kind of hang out. So people usually bring, like, picnic blankets, and, and, you know, Sometimes people will bring, like, candles, depending on the show. And there's all different kinds of shows that happen there. We have, like, like an orchestra will perform one night. And then the next night, you'll have, like, Chance the Rapper perform. And then the following night, you'll have something like Lil' Affair. Like, I saw the Spice Girls there. I saw No Doubt there. Like, it's just all kinds of crazy shit would happen there. 
And I remember we were picnicking. We had, I was, I'll never forget. I was eating a, a Subway sandwich and I was just like hanging out with my mom and my grandma, like waiting for like, who was I waiting for? Probably like Sarah McLachlan to come out and play fucking Angel on the piano. And this lesbian couple in front of us got the Holy Ghost and they started rolling around and making out and like finger banging. No, like not realizing that I was behind them. Obviously they would have not done that if they knew that an eight year old was sitting behind them. And I just sat there and ate my fucking subway and watched. And I was like, this is what the truth feels like. Like I finally understood. <laughs> I, fi- I felt like my whole world was opening up and like, I don't think my mom realized what was going on. So like, I wasn't going to say anything. Cause obviously I was like, this is a crazy fucking thing I'm watching. There are two topless women that just sat down with tambourines rolling around on the grass and like kissing each other and like doing something weird with their fingers and their vaginas. And uh, yeah, so that was my idea of what it meant to be a lesbian. And Ellen really did kind of like change that for me. Like she became like a real human. She was a human person. You know, like Rosie O'Donnell wasn't out yet. And all the adults knew she was gay. But like she wasn't out. And like Ellen was out and she was a human real person. She wasn't this like idea or like an entity. You know what I mean? She was a human person. Um, and the other interesting thing about this time was that like Ellen would neither, she wouldn't confirm nor deny her sexuality. Um, but she did date like male comedians and stuff. And she tried to kind of like take the heat off of her because people were obviously speculating and people wanted to know what was going on. And I read in a People Magazine article that, um, you know, from when she first came out, that most people, um, most of the people she had relationships with would end up realizing that, like, her roommate or, like, the girl that she was living with or, like, the girl that, you know, needed a place to stay or whatever, however she formed it, was her girlfriend. And they'd be like, oh, so, like, you really are a lesbian. Like, it's not just, like, rumor. Okay. Um... The Ellen Show was moderately popular in the 90s. It wasn't like some big ratings juggernaut. Like it was a, it was a, it was a decently successful sitcom. And, you know, Ellen as the star of the show was monumental because everybody knew Ellen was gay, but people didn't really talk about it. Like it was speculated about, but nobody would straight up ask her really. Um, so like that was a big deal. And it was, there was a lot riding on the fact that Ellen was a lesbian and, a gay person had never been the lead of a television sitcom at that time. Like it was unheard of. So her coming out was, would have, it was terrifying. Um, like I said, it was something that people were, it was just assumed. It was never spoken about. And that's like, that's what it meant to be gay in the nineties. Like you're, you're even just 20 years ago, like your sexuality needed to just be assumed and not heard. And you could do whatever you wanted, but only behind closed doors you know, and that was it. Like, you don't talk about it. You don't flaunt it, as they say. Um, you know, you just kind of live your life privately. And people who don't accept your lifestyle will be fine with it as long as you don't talk about it. You just, like, live in hiding. Um, and Ellen was somebody, like, you know, it was like people wanted her to be seen and not heard. And to just make us laugh and not have a sexuality. You know what I mean? Um, and actually earlier in the same year, Ellen had sort of like come out in tiny little ways. She'd never just come out and said that she was gay, but she would hint towards her sexuality. 
and at an award show, it was actually the GLAAD Awards, um, she was presented with an award, and at the event, she got up on the podium, and she was given a standing ovation because, I mean, you know, at that time, she was like a fucking pioneer as this, as this mainstream lesbian comedian, and um, she made a joke that her book, which was titled My Point, and I Do Have One, was going through a title change, and that would be called my sexual my sexual orientation, and I do have one, and everybody like lost their shit. So there was this like elephant in the room, you know. And, and I also can't imagine like what it would feel like to have to come out in such a big way over and over and over again. Doing it once is traumatic enough, but like doing it nine hundred different times and all these different events and blah blah blah. Like it helps you kind of picture where she was mentally of being like, I'm just going to come out in one giant way instead of doing this every time I go somewhere and just end it. And if people accept me, then they do. And if they don't, then they don't. And if it, it is what it is. And the people who are claiming not to know, they do know. So now we'll just be able to talk about it. And um, I mean, to be honest, I can't really picture a more appropriate way to go about it than to just go for it. You know what I mean? On, on, a, on a magazine, especially if you're like an A-list star and everybody's talking about your sexuality like I remember when I came out to people I was like 18 or 17 I want to say and uh actually I may have been 18 or 19 and I remember like at that point I knew that everybody was talking about it already so I felt like I needed to take ownership of it because what upset <laughs> me being the uh, spiteful Aries that I am what upset me more than not being able to talk about it was knowing that people were talking about it for me that pissed me off. That was like the thing that I was like, oh, fuck this. Like, I cannot deal with knowing all these fuckers are talking about me behind my back. You know, and everybody's speculating and everybody's questions. Blah, blah, blah. And like my friends that I was really close to were sick of being asked about it. And I was just like, I'm going to do it on my fucking, on my accord, like on my time, the way that I want to do it. And that's sort of like a very small version of how I felt like. Knowing that all these people are talking about you, the whole world. I mean, I couldn't imagine if the whole world was speculating about me. I would have lost my shit. I would have literally rented like the Goodyear blimp, which by the way resides in the town that I live in. And I would have fucking blown it up and, and, and shown it on like the, the screen and had it fly all over the country. I would have rented out like a Super Bowl ad. I don't know. I, like I would have lost my mind knowing that all these people were talking about me and I couldn't say anything about it. Um, so it had been kind of announced at that point publicly that Ellen would most likely be coming out as a lesbian on her show. And the media fire was like pretty immediate. Like every news publication was losing their shit and trying to figure out like how she would do it. You know what I mean? And like, here's the thing. Ellen wasn't like the first lesbian on television. And to be honest, most like of the gay milestones that happened on TV had happened recently at that time like on Roseanne um you know her show was the first to feature a lesbian kiss and a gay wedding and you had shows like Golden Girls that had gay characters that weren't just like punching bags but actually were like characters and had personalities and stuff so there were things happening on like on shows with gay characters but not to the extent that the lead character was gay you know it was always somebody like Leon and on Roseanne, he would come in 
and say something funny and quippy and Roseanne would make fun of him and he would make fun of her and then he would leave for the rest of the episode. That was it. Like that was the extent of gay people on TV. So to be the lead and have the whole 40 minutes be about you, you know, that was scary for a lot of people. Um, and like the really, uh, the other really weird thing too was that Roseanne was also on ABC. So Ellen felt like this would be fine. Like she thought ABC was cool you know, they let Roseanne do that lesbian kiss and the lesbian and the gay wedding. So, like, that was her perception that they would be cool about it, which was the complete fucking opposite. Um, and for them, I mean, on the other hand, like, they are a huge network that has sponsors. This has never been done before in the history of television. And, you know, say their sponsors no longer want sponsored her show because of whatever. Like, that's losing them millions of dollars. Like, it's a huge gamble financially to do this at a time when it had never been done. So they sent Ellen out on this really gross fucking press tour, where basically she had to warn people that, you know, this wasn't going to turn into a gay show and that they weren't going to be showing lesbian sex and that children could still watch it and that it was still wholesome and all this stuff. Like this really like unnecessary and like disgusting, basically. Um, and in a Newsweek article from 1997, this woman named Donna Miller, who worked as the uh, Hamilton, Ohio Chamber of Commerce, she gave a quote that said, My eight-year-old daughter liked, liked to watch Ellen because she's also named Ellen. But I, I, I wouldn't let Ellen watch Ellen after she comes out of the closet. Her co-worker, Jennifer Cluse, says... Or no, her, her co-worker, Jennifer Cluse, who's 26 and single, is less ruffled by the, the prospect of Ellen being gay, but says the show is going to take a turn into let's explore what lesbian relationships really mean. And if that's going to happen, I'm definitely not going to watch. And that was just like, like I said, that was the social climate all over our country. Like, let's, you know, Ellen's very funny. She can make us laugh. Let's let her host an award show. And that's about it. I don't want to hear anything about her personal life. I don't want her flaunting her lifestyle all over the place by being open about who she is. Um, I don't want her showing up to award shows with women. Like, that was the extent. And I sure as hell don't want a gay person on my television at 8 o'clock on ABC with my kids watching. Because at the time, it was, like, perverse to imagine. Um, and there were also, like... I mean, there were threats from advertisers that they were going to, at that point, pull out. Like, Chrysler was one of the first, pe first people, first companies to pull their commercials and pull from the show. Um, but most of the other advertisers did stay, which was surprising. Um, but there was still, I mean, it was fucking terrifying. Um, so the episode, now I guess we should finally talk about the fucking show. The episode was titled... Uh, the puppy episode, which was jokingly titled that so that, you know, no leaks would air. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. you got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. 
So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.